Father, it is such a good thing for us to come together and to pause before we start a new week. For us to be reminded of all the grace and all of the mercy and all of the blessings that have come our way. Our fallen nature, Lord, causes us to focus very often on the negatives and to forget about all the positives. Admittedly, Lord, when we compare dads to you, all of us as fathers come up short. But I want to thank you, Lord, for the way you have touched and used so many fathers to nurture their own families and to be an example. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've got a good plan and a plan that works. And I want to thank you, Father, that one of the results is that by keeping covenant, so many people have come to know your son, Jesus. Father, every time we come together, there are those among us who have fallen far short of what you would will for us. We haven't treated other people like you'd like us to treat them. We haven't said some of the things we might have said to encourage people who are having problems. All too often, Lord, we focus on what we think are negatives instead of on the positives. So often, dear God, we walk where we want to walk and we talk the way we want to talk and we feel the way we want to feel. And we forget all about you and about the example that you've set for us in Jesus, our Savior. I ask you to forgive us, Lord. But I know, Father, my asking it's not enough, that individually I must ask for myself and others must ask for themselves. And I pray that you'd bring us under conviction and bring to the surface the sin of our life that before we leave this place today, we might say, Father, please forgive me and walk out of here with a new resolution. And I thank you that that's possible, Father. You provided the atonement for our sin and your son Jesus as he took all of our sins on himself and died on a cross for us that we might be a forgiven people. And I thank you that you've given your Holy Spirit to us, our counselor, our comforter, the one who gives us assurance, the one who walks with us day and night until the day we stand in your presence. What a loving and good God you are. Thank you, Lord, for kind of putting our thinking back in perspective and getting a balance in our life again today that we might live this next week and be the people you want us to be. Father, when we come together, we could talk about all the beauty and all the wonder of your majesty, and we still wouldn't cover it all, Lord. What a wonderful place you've given to us to live in this country. What an opportunity you've given to us to enjoy each day of our life and to give you the credit for it. To use the talents and the gifts that you've given us. And to not just use them for ourselves, but to use them for other people.
Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you for the grace that you show us. Thank you most of all for the grace that we know through Jesus. Father, it's also true when we come together to worship, we come with burdens. So many in our country have loved ones who are in military uniforms and who are separated on this Father's Day from their families. Thank you, dear God, for working in their hearts, and thank you for helping them through this day and through every day. And we pray for them today, Lord, and pray that you would give them comfort in that separation and give them a sense of purpose. And most of all, we pray you'd keep them close to you. Father, there are all sorts of other groups of people that are giving themselves away this very moment. There are police officers who are separated from their families and put their lives in danger. There are those in the medical community who give so unselfishly of their time to help other people. We lift them up to you, Lord. We lift our school teachers up to you and ask you to help them to be faithful in the classroom and to be faithful to you and ask you to protect them and help them. And then, Lord, we pray from the White House all the way down to our state capitol and to the folks who serve in our community. And we ask for spiritual revival in them, that you might draw them closer to you and that they might be keenly aware of your presence, both in our country and in their personal lives. What a wonder it would be, dear God, if we were to see revival in our land. How exciting it would be to see two or three or even four generations and our own families turn to you and invite you back into this country. Father, we pray for that. We pray that we might be humbled by you and that we might honor you. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for all the opportunities that we have, both within the walls of our church and when we get outside. Thank you most of all for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles and to follow along as I read from Joshua 24. Verses 14 and 15. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. To those of you who may be visiting with us this Sunday, if you put your finger in your Bible after you find your place and look up, I'll know it's time to move on. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Let's ask the Lord for some help. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray for the powerful moving of your Holy Spirit. Pray that you'd give us ears to hear, Lord, and that we'd make application in our own life. And through that same power of your Holy Spirit, 
that we'd be able to remember what you say to us today and take it home and that we would use it in our daily life that we might ever be refined in becoming new people day by day, being conformed more and more to the image of your son Jesus. Please, dear God, bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I started a series on the family back in April. And then I paused the 1st of May. And then on Mama's Day, I took us back to that series. And today I want to take us back for the sixth sermon in the series, which is going to focus in part on fathers. I want to say very quickly that if this doesn't fit the father theme, if you'll just listen a little bit, God will apply it to you wherever you are. As I read back over my sermon after I prepared it, I thought, boy, Lord, you're just going to throw a net around all of us today. So get ready to be engulfed, okay? Because that's what's going to happen. Um, when you talk about fathers and when I talk about them, And when I read the pretty little cards that my children give me, I think, you know, oftentimes they're missing the mark. There aren't any perfect dads. We all know that. And sometimes there's some pretty harsh reminders of that. But what God has done is he's laid out in Scripture the ideal father. And he's done it with a whole variety of different people. Sometimes he does it, interestingly enough, by showing us negatives and saying, you don't want to go here, you don't want to be like this. And I think of David when I think of that. I don't want to follow David's role model. And then I think about others and I think, well, that's what God wants us to be. That's how he wants us to think and feel and look at the positive rollout of that with our children and our grandchildren and even others who know us and who watch us. So it's that biblical model for a father that we ought to be striving for, not the earthly model. The earthly model will disappoint us. Even if you achieve it, it will be a disappointment. So what I did is I looked through the scriptures as I was preparing for today and I came up with Joshua, and I could have chosen lots of people, but I chose Joshua, and I got to thinking, you know, being a biblical father is not something you just instantaneously become. To have the character, to have the drive that a biblical father has is something you develop over a period of years. It's not just an event. So I thought about Joshua. He's raised in captivity in Egypt. Comes under the influence of a man named Moses. A lot of folks would like to say that he was also in the Egyptian army. I don't know if that's true, but he sure had some of those leadership qualities. And the Egyptians did use non-Egyptians in their army. But here comes Moses on the scene and he leads the people of Israel out of captivity. And Joshua is right in the midst of that group. He sees the sea close in on the Egyptians who are trying to pursue the people of Israel. He finds himself in the wilderness 
makes his way toward the north, up toward the Mediterranean, and there's an oasis out in the middle of that desert, Kadesh Barnea, and there he and the whole nation of Israel encamp, and Moses has them pick 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes. Guess what? Joshua gets picked. Joshua and 11 other men go over the hill, go into the promised land, and their job is not to discern if they can take it. God's already promised it. Their job is to come back and report on what they see so they can prepare before they go into the nation. You remember the rest of that story? Joshua and Caleb come back and give a minority report. That's not easy to do. Ten people who were with them said, we can't take that land, it's full of giants. And here's part of the character building. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, no, 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 we can. God's promised it to us. Forty years, Joshua walks in the wilderness because the people were disobedient. He's a man who is surrounded by people who are grumbling and fussing and saying, I'd rather go back to Egypt and be in captivity. And here Joshua is walking with them and talking with them and never losing his bearing. And that kind of constant pressure from other people helps build character. It helps build resolve. It's not just a negative. It's a positive. And God uses that in a positive way. Ultimately, at the end of that 40 years, God calls Joshua to cross the Jordan River when it's flood stage, to take the people of Israel into the promised land, and to go one city after another in defeating the people in that land that he might have the promised land for the people. That's who this guy is. He's an awesome man. Not a perfect man. But can you imagine that being your daddy and you're learning from him and that role model? Well, that's what was going on. As I think about Joshua, I started reading through the account of one of the most famous things that he said. And it comes in the 24th chapter, the 14th and 15th verses. And I want you to listen because God is about to say this to you and to me. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Verse 14 is very clear. It starts out by telling us what we're supposed to do. He said, we, fathers and all of us, are to fear the Lord. I love that word. It's not coward before God. It's to say, wow, let me stop my thinking and stop what I'm doing and realize that there's a God who's an awesome God and he's a God who's involved in my life. And to take notice of that and to allow that to influence our lives. 
I said and chuckled. You know, sometimes you and I just kind of coast. And God does things around us, and people say things in our presence, and we miss it completely. I'm not the only one that has that experience, am I? And, and we go maybe days and don't really stop and think about how God's involved in our life and what he's doing. And we don't see him in other people's lives. And yet, folks, he hadn't gone anywhere. That's us. That's not him. He's very much at work. So when we hear in Joshua 14 that we are to fear the Lord, he's saying, let me have your attention. God's present. God is right here. And he's at work in your life. What a difference it makes if we see God at work, if we're sensitive to his presence. What a difference in the way we enjoy the beautiful things of life. What a difference it makes in the way we get through those hard times. And it's all about fearing God. He says, you need to fear the Lord and you need to serve him. And I see in the little print right after it says, and we need to serve him, I see a little phrase that says, not yourself. And that's where most of us live. It's all about taking care of us. It's all about what we want. It's all about getting other people, getting other organizations, getting someone to affirm and do what we want. And what a dead-end street that is. You've been there. You know that doesn't work. But there's something in our fallen nature that keeps saying, get the focus on yourself. And what Joshua is saying, no, no. It needs to be on the Lord. And when you serve the Lord, when you put him first in your life, when you seek after him in a conscious way every day of your life, life changes and you will change. And then he does an interesting thing. The word Lord that you see in that verse 14, he could have chosen a whole variety of Hebrew names, Elohim, El. For God, in this case, he chose Adonai. You know what Adonai means? Master. So there's continuity in his thought. What he's saying to us is, I want you to have a change of attitude, and I want you to look at God, and I want you to say, what an awesome God, and now I'm going to serve him, and the reason I'm going to serve him, he's the master. So many of us, when we make a profession of faith, say, I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And the emphasis is on Savior. I mean, if you look in our heart, the emphasis is on Savior, what he has done for us. But we're saying we're going to be surrendered and allow him and want him to be the Lord of our life, to be the master of our life. And the Bible is consistent in teaching that a healthy relationship is a relationship built on fearing God in a positive way, on serving him and recognizing him as the master and Lord of our life. Folks, when we start to get our arms around that, we're a role model to a lot of other people, and we find a lot of peace in our own life that we will not otherwise find. So Joshua starts out and says, 
I want you to fear and I want you to serve and I want you to know he's Lord. And then he says, but I want you to have the right attitude about it. I want you to do this in sincerity and in truth. Now, he's gone to meddling. You know why I say that? Which one of us doesn't want to look good before somebody else? I mean, we all have mirrors in our house, don't we? We want to dress so other people will notice. We want to groom ourselves so other people will notice. Don't want them to notice negatives. We want them to see positives. That's just built into us. So our whole orientation is to do something about our external presentation. What he's saying is, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about your attitude. When you say that you fear him and you say that you're going to serve him and recognize him as Lord of your life, I don't want it just to be an external. I want it to be in here. Back many years ago, over 50 years ago, Linda and I started out our marriage in Carrollton, Georgia. And we lived out in the country and lived on a dirt road. Interesting place to start. Good place to start. A bunch of the folks who lived around us were all part of one family. And every time one of the children would turn 16, that child would leave school and daddy would give them 100 acres and tell them what to grow. And they had this family business. They all had 100 acres and that's how they got by. After a while, they couldn't make a living doing that, so most of them went to work, but they kept their farms and kept farming. And they worked to be able to farm because they loved it so very much. Well, the father and mother of that clan lived up on this little hill. And they had a house that had columns. At some point, it had been white on the outside. But that had been a long time ago. And things weren't going so well with any of them, and the house needed repair something terrible. I was in the house a few times, and what I'm going to tell you is just how it was, but they had no refrigeration, so they had a table with food on it covered up, and when they were going to eat, they'd uncover the table, and they'd eat whatever was there. And they'd prepare some more and put it on the table. And they had a corner cabinet, and they kept food in the corner cabinet. I was raised in a different environment. I'd never seen that before. They got along just fine. I did notice they had a hard time opening and closing windows. Some of the windows wouldn't open. Some of them wouldn't close. The house was settling. The house was so badly in need of repair. So they did. You know what they did? They built a brick outside around the house. They poured a footer around the house and built about that far from the house outside brick walls with windows. And one day I was in the house after they finished it and I watched them open one of the original windows and reach out about that far and open the window that's in the brick wall. On another occasion, I was behind the house and I could look down between the walls And if you got off down the hill a little bit on the road, that was an absolutely beautiful brick home. But they hadn't done anything on the inside to take care of it. 
Linda and I, and, and I told you this back on Memorial Day, we went back over to Carrollton. I do that for a little booster shot every now and then to remember where I came from. And we went back over, and I drove around behind that house. The brick looks wonderful. Nobody lives in the house anymore because nobody took care of it. And the house is absolutely falling down on the inside. And a lot of Christians have a facade. And we're falling apart on the inside. And it's so gradual that we get accustomed to it. And when something doesn't work spiritually, we don't get it fixed. We let that stuff accumulate. And over the years, it implodes on us. And outside, we look beautiful. We look fine. And we're not. What we're being told is that we are to be sincere and to be truthful. And not just wear it on the outside but we're to wear it on the inside also. That's a daily task, taking care of yourself. And God's given his word. He's given his Holy Spirit. God is prepared to help us do that. And day by day, and I said it in an earlier prayer, day by day he wants us to conform to the image of Christ. So we look more like Jesus when we meet him for eternity than we do today or tomorrow. It's a progression. So it's not just dressing up on the outside. It's taking care of what's on the inside. And then he says, what I want you to do is I want you to put away all of the little G's, all the little gods in your life. Wouldn't it be interesting if we made a truthful statement today of who the little gods are that you and I serve? I bet that would be an extensive list. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our energy? Where do we spend our money? What are we feeding? Where is our focus? Is it really on God? Or is our focus on one of those little G's? I thought about it this week as I was working on my sermon. I have 25 people in my immediate family. I'm talking about children, their spouses, and my grandchildren. And I know it surprises you, but we actually have some married grandchildren. And next they're going to start having babies. And that will probably make me feel old. But... There are 25 of them in that nuclear family. And do you know, as a father and a grandfather, I have an impact on them. It can be negative or it can be positive. I will have an impact one way or the other. So do you. Be sincere. Be truthful. Don't let it be just superficial. Be renewed in here. And grow in here spiritually in your oneness with Christ. And you will have a wonderful impact on other people, particularly in your own family. If you look on down at verse 15, interesting disclosure. He says, we're going to make a choice today, folks. You didn't ask to, and some of you really don't want to. He says, some of you are disagreeable. You know what that means, to be disagreeable? That means... Don't bother me with these spiritual things. Let me just do what I'm doing. Don't confront me with any spiritual realities. Just leave me alone. I'm happy right where I am, even though I may be in a very dark place. And he says, I acknowledge that some of you are disagreeable, but guess what? 
today, right now, let's make a choice. Whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the gods that people served in Egypt? And that was literally demon worship. Or are you going to serve the gods of the Amorites and the people on this side of the Red Sea? And he's saying, I want you to make that decision. There's an age-old problem. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. See if you've heard this. You can't serve two masters. You may try. You can't do it. Oh, you can put forth effort to do that. And what you do is you don't serve either one of them. It just messes life up. You get a little schizophrenic because you go this way for a while and you say, no, no. And you go this way and then you go back over here again. And you're spiritual for a little bit and then you're not. You're spiritual on Sunday. You can't get through the day because Monday's coming. And what he's saying is, I don't want you to be that way. I want you to make a choice. And you can almost sense he's pushing us toward making that choice, saying, I'm not going to let you find happiness if it's in exile from me, if you're doing it without me. So he keeps stirring the waters up in our life to get our attention and to get us to come back to him. I was with a friend this last week, had lunch with him, and a man I know and care a lot about. He's in a... uh, position where he has lots of influence over other people. I became aware sitting with him at lunch, he's got a struggle going on with an addiction. And when I became aware of it, he asked me, and we never put a title on it, interestingly enough, didn't need to. There are all kinds of addictions. Um, But as we talked, he said, how do you stop an addiction? You know, addictions are contagious. If we do it, other people say it must be okay. Other people who get hurt by it, almost invariably as adults, turn around and do the same thing. Are you aware of that? That's how much influence we have over each other. So what do you do about an addiction? Some of you have addictions this morning. Some of you drink too much. Some of you watch pornography and you shouldn't. There's a whole list of things that we give ourselves to that are displeasing to God because they damage us and our relationship with him. It's all about helping us. So the question is, if we have an addiction, how do we put one of those little gods aside and not allow that little god to influence us and corrupt our lives? You know the answer to that? You get on your knees by yourself. Go in your closet. Go in a corner where there's nobody around but just you and God and say, Lord, forgive me. Own up to it. Admit what it is and that it's got hold of you. And if you're not sure if it's got hold of you, quit it for 90 days and you'll find out. 
That was my advice to my friend. I said, well, just stop whatever it is for 90 days. Don't do it one time. And I said, if you can't get through the 90 days, call me. Let me help you. I won't be a bit surprised to get a phone call. And there are resources available that can help my friend. So that's what you do. If you have some sort of a sin in your life and it's got one of those death grips on you and you're not sure if it's a death grip, just quit it for 90 days and you'll find out whether it's got a death grip or not. Go in your corner or in your closet and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me. Because you're going to need his help. And then tell yourself, I'm not going to do that anymore. And mean it. Be truthful and sincere and mean it. You see, folks, if you're disagreeable with doing that and you don't want to own up to the sin in your life, it cripples us. Just cripples us. It messes up our families. It messes up our marriages. It messes up our work. It messes everything up. Be honest with yourself. Joshua is trying to help us. He's trying to talk to us about how to be more like Christ. If you read on in the 15th verse come those really neat words. As for me and my house, we... Does it say might? doesn't say might. We shall serve the Lord. How does a man who's a father and a grandfather say, let me tell you about the behavior of all of my family. We, all of us corporately, are going to serve the Lord. We're going to do it. How does he speak with that certainty? You know how he speaks with that certainty? He's been getting that way, and his kids and his family have been coming along all of their lives. When you get home today, open up to Deuteronomy 6. It is absolutely the best formula for how to build character and how to be able to one day say, for me and my family, we shall serve the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, it simply says, you, 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 me, love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength. So it starts with us. It starts with us loving him and giving ourselves to him and letting that develop over the years. And then he says, teach it to your children. Talk about it in the house. Let them grow up all the days of their life hearing about a God who loves them, but a God who is also a just God. And give them the balance in that theology so they get to know the God of the Bible. And then he goes a step further in Deuteronomy 6. He says, I don't want you just to do this yourself and just teach it to your family. I want you to nail it on the doorpost of your house. I want you to own up to being a Christian. And other people get to know you for who you are. That you stop trying to fit in out there, and instead you try to fit in up there. Can you hear that? We live in tough times, don't we? Really tough. You agree? Pretty challenging to be a Christian. In 
1737, just a little while ago. John Wesley was floundering in Georgia. John Wesley got himself involved in something, none of us are quite sure what it was, and came to the realization instead of trying to save Indians, somebody needed to save him. And that word got back to his brother Charles, who had already returned to England. One Sunday morning, Charles Wesley got up and before light walked out into the streets of London carrying a lantern because there was no provided light source at all. And as he made his way through the city, he was on his way to church. And as he approached the church he was going to attend, there were lots of lanterns. And lots of people had gathered to go into that church. Ultimately, the church was so filled that people were standing outside to listen to George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a reformed evangelist, would have been right at home with us. But he lived his life to see other people come to know Christ. And he was empowered by God in a unique way like a Billy Graham or a Billy Sunday. And he was that kind of a man. You know what passage he chose to speak on? Joshua 24. I want to read a little quote. This is what he said. I went back and read his sermon. And this is what he said. It was never more so than in the present age, since it is greatly to be feared that out of those many households that call themselves Christians, there are but few that serve God and their respective families as they ought. My goodness, he could stand here today and say that about what's going on in our country, what's going on in our families. The message has never changed. And it's interesting to me that he's a revivalist who was praying for and working for a revival in Great Britain and at the same time in colonial America. And what does he preach on? Not evangelism. He says, you got to get your act together. That's where it starts. It starts in our homes. It starts with Linda and I and my family. It starts with you and your family. Can you hear? You want to be a good daddy? Follow the formula he gives us. You want to be a good granddad? An uncle? An aunt? Follow the formula. It starts with us. And as change takes place here, it'll touch and influence other people. If you have never invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to know there is no other way into eternal life except through the shed blood of Christ. Somebody's got to pay the price. And you can't pay it adequately enough to get yourself into heaven. So if you've never accepted Jesus and you realize that you're a sinner, while you're here today, just call out and say, Lord, be my Savior. 
be my Savior. Come into my life. After you've done that, or for the rest of us who've already done that, say, hey, Lord, I'd like you to be my Lord. I've made a mess out of this. I'd like you to help straighten it out. Help me to surrender and let you be the Lord of my life. I'm going to give you a moment just to close your eyes and just forget other people around you. And this is between you and the Lord. And say quietly in your own heart whatever you need to say to him, and then I'll pray. Let's talk to him. Father, it's interesting, the message has never changed since the day of Adam and Eve. We have needed you as Savior and Lord of our life. And Father, if you've come knocking on our door, we want to give you thanks. For you are doing for us what we cannot and would not do for ourselves. Thank you, Father. Thanks for visiting with us today through Joshua. Thanks for telling us the simple truth. And thank you for reminding us that you love us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You see why I said this sermon wouldn't just be for daddies? Anybody, did I miss anybody? God is so good. You realize how much he loves us? You know, he doesn't talk to us that way because he's harsh. He does that because he cares. And he's saying, y'all come, you hear? Come on. And he gives us all the tools to come. Good place to be today. I hope you have a beautiful afternoon. I hope you feel the presence of God and know that he's right there with you. God bless you and God keep you, my friends, and may his face shine on you. And may you feel his presence and may you reflect that wherever you go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit,